This is Giovanni Canales, and we are back with the DK. Really good episode today. We're going to be covering my predictions for the Denver Nuggets. Well, all the Game 7s today, Sunday, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I'm going to be covering the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers game. Uh, my prediction for it. And the... Toronto Raptors and Philadelphia 76ers game, game seven as well. And then I'm be moving on to the end of the series of the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. Game six, it was crazy. But I'm going to start off with Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers. I believe that the Blazers will win. And I know... Denver has home court advantage in this. They're starting game seven at home court. They have the best home record throughout the whole season, this past NBA season. But I just believe that Dame time, Damian Lillard, will come up clutch in the playoffs. Especially it being game seven. I mean, you saw that tweet, uh, not tweet, uh, group text, that's what it was, among the Portland Trailblazers players. Uh, by Damian Lillard saying, we're not going out like this. And I'm pretty sure he's going to do the exact same thing. I'm pretty sure he's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to say, hey, we aren't going out like this. This is our opportunity. We're going to win this game. And Jokic has been playing out of his mind. But I think Jamal Murray just doesn't have it in him after a decent game against uh, the Spurs for, uh, for uh, Game 7. And he did come up in the clutch nicely, but I just think that Damian Lillard is better, and he's going to outplay him. I think Zach Collins uh, and the other, uh, oh, Ennis Kanter, that's his name. I forgot his name. Uh, for a quick second there, but Ennis Kanter, Zach Collins do a decent amount of work to uh, slow Jokic down a bit. Game 7, they're really going to turn on the intensity, but TJ McCollum has to come up clutch. He has to. And Damian Lillard has to score, I'm going to say, close to 40 points. Close to 40 points. I'm feeling 40 points in order for the Trailblazers to win. Because he cannot have another, like, 14-point performance and hope that they win. That can't happen. But it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a great game. But I still have the Blazers winning, going on to the Western Conference Finals, where they will meet the Golden State Warriors. Now, on the east side, we know that Milwaukee just swept the floor with the Boston Celtics. And now I think that Kyrie's for sure out of there. I don't see him coming back. He was horrendous on the offensive and defensive end. Just seemed like he couldn't give a care in the world about how that game and that whole series turned out. I thought that the Bucks were in trouble after game one. But clearly I was wrong. I mean, I was right that they were going to win the whole series. I thought it was going to be in game seven. But I, I didn't see it happen like this. Not like this. I mean, you had Giannis dominating. You had Chris Middleton finally showing up after game one. You had Brooke Lopez doing his thing. Eric Bledsoe doing his thing. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon coming back. Playing like he's never been injured. And you had Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum. Kyrie Irving. Gordon Hayward. I'm I'm not gonna lump Al Horford in there because he played kind of nicely, but all those guys 
had their chances after game one. They played game one pretty well. They all disappeared. Jason Tatum, in particular, everyone, everyone was highlighting him as a perennial all-star. Perennial all-star. After last year, his rookie year, where he just shined in the playoffs. And he flat out sucked in this one. And I think part of it has to do with Kyrie. Part of it has to do with Brad Stevens. But mostly Kyrie Irving. And I think he's gone. I think he's out of there. But the Milwaukee Bucks will meet up with between Toronto and Philly. I think it will be Toronto. But I would not be surprised at all if Philly somehow pulls it off. Let's go back to Game 6. Philly forces a Game 7. Toronto played like they had the luxury, the luxury of a Game 7. Meaning that they were like, hey, I mean, if we lose this game, <laughs> we have a Game 7, we're going to be fine. Complacency. That'll kill you in the NBA. And the Warriors showed the exact opposite of that. And we'll, and we'll get to that later. Because I got a whole rant for that. It's going to be amazing. But, I mean, Toronto just looked like they they looked like the baby Raptors from last year. And the year before that. And the year before that. And the year before that. But I'm telling you, if Jimmy goes off for 30 points, like, like he seemed like he was going to do in game six, in Toronto's house, And Joel Embiid actually shows up, and Ben Simmons plays well, and doesn't lay a goose egg. Damn. Toronto might just lose. Whew. But let's be real. I, I, I mean, Toronto's going to win this. That's what I think. Kawhi's been damn near impossible to stop. Shooting one of the best field goal percentages in the league in these playoffs. And scoring what, 30 plus points per game? Woo! But he needs some help. I mean, it's game seven. Does he really have a second star? I say Pascal Siakam is not a second star. But let's think about it. He's a young dude. And this is game seven. This is where stars play. And Siakam, even though he's probably going to win most improved player, is he really there yet? And I just have a bad feeling about Cal Lowry this game. I still have Toronto winning. But that bench and those co-stars that are supposed to be co-stars, Siakam, Marcus Saul, Kyle Lowry, they need to show up. Danny Green also needs to show up. Because I know that Jimmy is. Jimmy has that heart. He has the heart of a champion. Even though he's never been a champion, he has the heart of one. He'll fight. I have Jimmy Butler, I know what I'm going to get. I have Kawhi Leonard, I know what I'm going to get. Joel Embiid, he's been on and off with some sort of sickness. So I don't know what I'm going to get. Ben Simmons just can't 
seem to function without any sort of, I don't know, he, 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 he can't seem to function with, well, as Jared Dudley said, in the half-court set. Fast break, unstoppable. Half-court set, not, not a strong suit. And then J.J. Redick has to, has to score some threes. He has to go bananas. But I still have time to win, despite all of what I think Philly's about to do. I still have time to win. But, I mean, it's, it, it's also going to be a great game. But which one's going to be more entertaining to watch? Uh, I say the Portland-Denver Game 7. That's why I think it's going to be a bit more interesting. But, I mean, if, if, if Philly wins, whew, it's going to be a really entertaining matchup between Philly and Milwaukee. Because Joel Embiid and Giannis always have great games against each other. They bring their A game every single night against each other. And it's going to be entertaining to watch them go back and forth emotionally with, with celebrations, all that stuff. It's going to be really hilarious. It's going to be awesome. But... The main topic of the day. Golden State against Houston. Warriors close it out. Steph Curry scores 33 points in the second half. He can't score a single bucket. Can't get to the free throw line. Can't make a layup in the first half. Played horrible in the first half. And then he goes back to his MVP self. Unanimously. MVP. In the second half, goes bananas. And I mean, Houston played a great game. 17 threes made. Harden has, what, 35 points? CP3 finally has his best game of the series with 27. But they lose. They look around at the box score. Eric Gordon. Nine points. This guy had an amazing game. Every other game. Except for this one. Capella, 10 points. PJ Tucker actually had 15 points, which is pretty good. And then the bench was decent. Austin Rivers gave good minutes. Delgren gave good minutes. Wasn't great off the bench, but you know. But they still had the opportunity to win. So how did they lose? Let's take it back to game five. Just like how I took that Philly Toronto game series back to game six. I'm gonna take the Warriors and Rockets series back to game five. Kevin Durant got injured. We all feared it was an Achilles injury because he looked back at his leg at his ankle area at his tibia area as if he had just been kicked by another player and from previous reporting from countless players that have experienced similar injuries of the of Achilles rupture they experienced the exact same thing they experienced the exact same thing looking back at your leg just like you have been kicked in the back of your leg. He looked. And immediately he threw up the faint. And he had just 
rained a mid-range shot. He rained, and he looked, and he said, "Hey, the game's slipping away. We we're about to lose a 21-point lead." Bam. No, mine. We're not losing this. And he goes out. Game was an oracle. Crowd went silent. Everyone was de- everyone was deflated. Holding their breaths. Thinking of the worst. And the basketball gods had given Houston their shot. Now, we would learn later on that Kevin Durant suffered from a mild calf strain. Nothing too severe, but it would keep him out for the rest of the series. And it could keep him out for a part of the Western Conference Finals, considering how bad it may be. We still do not know. But the basketball gods had given Houston their chance. After all the excuses from Houston last year, saying, hey, we would have we won game seven. We would have won game six. Close out the Warriors last year, up 3-2. If it wasn't for Chris Paul getting injured with the hamstring, oh no. Now, I believe that that series would have ended in five games if Andre Iguodala had played. Because the Warriors were tearing it up with Andre Iguodala on the court. But the basketball gods gave on a silver platter Houston a chance. Their golden opportunity to prove themselves. With Durant leaving injured game five. Just like how Chris Paul left injured game five. And Houston won that game, game five, last year to go up 3-2. Just like how the Warriors won game five to go up 3-2. With Curry going off in the fourth quarter as soon as Durant went out with injury. Closing it out at home, Oracle went crazy, went back to Houston. And it was a legacy game for CP3 and James Harden. And a bit for Steph Curry. played well. But guess what? I care about results. And how you get there, how you get the win, comes later. And the fact is, they did not win. This is oddly enough going to go down as a as a legacy game for, for Steph Curry. Maybe possibly a signature game. It's going to be weird because he didn't play great for the whole game. But guess what? He got the win. He got the win. And how is it going to be remembered? As great. Now, he didn't score a single point in the first half. Let me get that straight. Yet, the score was tied, I believe, 57-57 at halftime. Mainly because of two people. Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala. Clay went off with what, 21 points in the first half? Woo! Woo! Iggy went off, made five threes for the whole game. He he was 
crazy performance. I mean, he's been shooting the three pretty well in these playoffs, but but this is something else. He just he just said, "Give me the ball and I will shoot it. I will shoot it and I will drain it." And every single time, CP3 did what he does. He goes into the paint, dribble, 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 goes into the paint, does a little chicken wing, pushes off a bit, and shoots a mid-range shot, which he's very, very good at. They abused the pick and roll with Clint Capella and CP3, got him some nice mid-range shots, and they finally, you know, actually listened to the people around them and saying, hey, it doesn't hurt to take mid-range shots. It doesn't hurt. James Harden did dribble, 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 step back, step back, step back, step back, and maybe one more step back. Shoot, shoot a three. Make it. Swish it. On my teammate. Crowd goes wild in Houston. He was all tied up at halftime. And you could tell, even in Houston, in the crowd, Steph Curry has zero points and it's tied. Not, not looking so good. Steph Curry has had a bad series, but not this bad. And you know, he's Steph Curry. He's gonna bounce back. And he did. 33 points. Didn't light up in the third quarter. Down by five going into the fourth. Oh, but boy, that was a good fourth quarter. He scored 21 or 23 points, I believe, in the fourth quarter alone. 16 points in the last four to five minutes of the whole game. Matching the Rockets, who themselves scored 16 points. In the last four or five minutes of the whole game. Matching them by himself. In the fourth quarter. Clay was there to keep them in. Curry was there to take them over the edge. Over that last hurdle. Even that last loop. And he just lit it up. Shooting O. For five in the first half, going nine and fifteen in the fourth quarter. Well, not fourth quarter, second half. My bad. My bad. Eleven free throws in the second half as well. Finally attacking the basket. That's what he got himself going. Not only in game five when Kevin Durant got out, but in game six as well in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter because he had not been playing well. But he started making some layups, and I was like, whew. He, he's trying to warm up. He attacked the basket numerous times, got some easy layups, got some easy floaters. And after that, he was feeling it. Pull up, pull up. Drain it in your face. Took Capella out. Boom. Right in the eye. And that one against P.J. Tucker, that to me was the dagger. Like emotionally, that was the dagger. Just behind the back, behind the back, crossover, crossover. Step it back to the right. Sidestep it. Pull up. Turn sideways while while you shoot it. Bang. Nothing but net. And PJ Tucker, the best defensive player aside from maybe Clint, Clint Capella, the best one-on-one defender on the Rockets team, just could just stand there. 
looking at the basket, saying, how the heck did he make it? And all we could say is, mama, there goes that man. And then after that, Clay got the actual dagger with that pass from Andre Iguodala after a Draymond Green cut to the basket off a pass from Curry. Curry passes it, Draymond drives, passes it out to Andre Iguodala for the three. He passes it straight to Clay Thompson, clock winding down, five seconds, four seconds on the shot clock. He drains the three, dagger. And I mean, what really killed Houston at the end was miscommunication. Miscommunication. And it was on something so simple, too. It was Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Pick and roll, pick and slip, pick and pop. Very simple. Curry would dribble it out. You'd have Draymond Green come and set a screen for him. He'd either use it, or Draymond Green would slip the pick, which means that he doesn't really set it, he fakes it. And almost goes for, well, really in most cases was just out and let Curry drive it. And if he gets trapped by CP3 or Eric Gordon or P.J. Tucker, the he would just hook pass it over to Draymond Green, which would allow a essentially four-on-three on the defensive end, and after that, it was just a bad snabble. Snabble. Yeah. Snabble. Those words. But you gotta think. The Warriors did that like five, six times down the stretch. You gotta think that the Rockets really did not prepare for this. Checking all the tapes, or even some of the tapes of, of uh, plays that the Warriors would run pre-Durant, pre-KD, pre-Kevin, pre-Durantial, because they ran that play, those simple plays, over and over and over again, especially in the playoffs, all through, all through the regular season, during that 73-win season. They didn't prepare for that? Or even adjust to it mid-game? Not even mid-game, but right afterwards? And this is where the questioning of Mike D'Antoni comes into play. You look at the Spurs, and whenever they play the Warriors, usually it's really, really close. You want to know why? Because Greg Popovich does a great job of taking Curry out of his comfort zone. Houston did that great early on, getting Curry into foul trouble early on, three, four fouls. When was it? Uh, three fouls early on. Got his fourth foul in the second half. And that was great, because that didn't let Curry get into get Curry into a rhythm. But as soon as he makes that first three, you gotta call a timeout. Because once he makes that first three, ooh, you cannot let him get hot. Because when he gets hot, it is over. And that's what Greg Popovich does so well against the Warriors is that he knows when to call the timeouts, whether it's for adjustments. Or to make sure someone does not catch fire like Steph Curry. This is why those Spurs games against the Warriors are super duper close for a good amount of time. Because, Pop because Popovich calls a timeout 
any time that Curry makes a three that he feels could change the way that or change the direction and, and momentum of the game or could lead to him getting on fire. And then also you you gotta look back at game five. Harden, you gotta say, hey, give me the ball and watch me work. Because there's no Kevin Durant there. Curry has been shaking all series. All of this series, and also you can argue against the Clippers. He has been shaky. And Hardy knew, you, you gotta say, just give me the ball and let me go to work. And then also, Mike D'Antoni, you gotta say, here, let me call a timeout if Curry makes a single shot. And you gotta say, hey, no one leave Clay no matter what. And you know, I mean, Houston did their best in some other areas. They, they, they shot the three pretty well. They, they got some mid-range shots. Capella wasn't as great as he should have been. Eric Gordon did not play great. But they did win the rebounding battle pretty nicely. P.J. Ducker played amazing defensively and offensively. He just couldn't guard Curry because Curry, whew, man. Chris Paul played great. Martin played great. But the problem came all on the defensive end. Now, all their problems came on the defensive end. And you got to think, they took a Warriors team with Durant to game seven. And they lost. But how can you not take a Durant-less team to game seven as well? That's not me, but I believe that nothing really is going to change for the Rockets. Their money is tied up in both James Harden and Chris Paul, and then Eric Gordon, and Clint Capella is going to ask for his money too. So that's what I think. But I think in the end, it comes down to coaching. And I believe that this will be the last year for Mike D'Antoni. Not this year. This upcoming year. If if they don't win a title. This upcoming year. This next season. Because they're not getting any. New all-star player. At all. Unless it's via trade. But even then I don't see it happening. I believe Mike D'Antoni is gone. Because so far. His legacy. Chris Paul's legacy. James Harden's legacy. Has all been tarnished and stained by their playoff failures. Mike D'Antoni with the Knicks, with the Suns, with the Rockets, has had MVP caliber stat-filling players. Steve Nash, James Harden. But they've never won a championship under his coaching. Ever. Part of it is because I don't know if he adjusts. 
middle of the game, I don't know if he adjusts. I just don't know. And then Daryl Murray's got to check himself too. See, maybe the whole analytics thing is not the way to go. You, you think the Warriors rely on analytics all the time? It might help every now and then, but I'm pretty sure they don't use that all the time. They're probably saying, hey, we want the for sure buckets. We want to get the best shot possible, not just jack up some threes. Try it out. See how it works. You got great players. James Harden, MVP caliber player. Chris Paul, on the edge of his prime. Maybe still got it for next year. But hey, give it a try. See how it works. Give it a try. What do you have to lose at this point? Because, I'm going to be honest. Even, even, though, even though the Warriors might not be the same Warriors as next year. If KD leaves. If Clay leaves, I highly doubt Clay leaves. But if either if either of them leaves, if Demarcus Cousins leaves, and they don't pick anyone up in free agency, guess what? You probably still have the Clippers to worry about, especially if they get Kevin Durant or some other high-profile All-Star caliber, maybe even Hall of Fame player like Kawhi Leonard. You still you still gotta worry about Denver, who's gaining significant playoff and meaningful playoff experience early on in their young careers, in their young life. You still got to worry about Portland. You still got to worry about Utah, and I believe that Utah's maybe like a couple fixes away from being an actual contender, especially on the offensive end of the scale because their defense is set. They didn't play great against, uh, against Houston defensively, but, I mean, that offense, if, if they get some pieces to just fit around Donovan Mitchell, bam, they're, they're set. They're set. San Antonio is going to always be there. I, I don't see San Antonio as a huge threat, but they're definitely there. They're there. They're always there. And you maybe got the Lakers if they, you know, get their act together. Maybe get an all-star. Maybe. And then even then, even if you get to the finals, you still got Milwaukee, maybe Toronto if Kawhi stays there. You got the 76ers. You still got teams to run through. Plenty of plenty of teams. You maybe and maybe even the Knicks or the Nets come up in in, in those playoffs. But the way I look at it, Houston just lost their best chance that they're ever going to have at winning a championship. And it was handed to them on a silver platter. All they needed to do was just win. And that they couldn't do. And that brings me to the end of this episode of the G-Truth. It is your host, Giovanni Canales. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for listening. Hope you have a fun day watching some of the NBA playoffs. These Game 7s are going to be crazy. But yeah, thank you for listening. I'm out.